0: Hello and thank you so much for tuning into The Education Burrito, a podcast that unwraps the everyday challenges in learning and teaching in education, exploring the ins and outs and highs and lows and different pedagogy approaches, enhancing student engagement amongst everything in education. My name is Q Sum and each episode I will be joined by special guests as we unwrap The Education Burrito. I'm buzzing today because I'm joined in this episode by someone who is a passionate teacher with over 20 years of teaching experience in all educational settings, from primary, secondary, college and further education, adult education to higher education. Their primary specialism is language fluent in not only just English, but also in Italian and French but it was when after they completed a master in teaching that they realised that teaching education was their calling and they became an educational developer. Aside from all their educational interests, they focused their work on inclusivity in learning design and assessment as learning and feedback. They're currently co-creating a book on inclusive learning design with contributors from across the world in different continents. All in all, their motto is learn to thrive. Anyhow, can you guess Who is joining me today is the wonderful Ferna Rossi. Ferna, welcome to the podcast.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Wow, what an introduction. (laughs) Hello, everybody.
0: (laughs) How are you doing? I believe that you're joining us from Italy. Yes, (laughs)
1: Yes, <laughs> it's been extremely hot over here. <laughs> Yesterday we had 38 degrees, but today's
0: better, yes, cooler. Yes. But I
1: can't complain because it's wonderful to be in the countryside <laughs> and in a sunny place.
0: Yeah, we had heatwave as well um, earlier the month. So um, I guess same same, really, isn't it? It's quite Even, hot. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, today I just want to talk to you of me finding out a bit more about what you do and especially the things that you're very interested in at the moment, what I believe, and I've read your blog so far, is that this whole route to shoots, inclusive learning design approach. But before we get into that, perhaps you can tell me what exactly you do? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> so, um, obviously, I'm going to just talk, just talk
1: about my professional life because the rest has got a lot as well going on. But professionally, I am uh, my official job title is PG Cert course leader. So I lead the PG-Cert course, which is Postgraduate Certificate in Education, um, which is an in-house uh, staff development course for teachers. So at Ravensbourne University in um, East London, uh, we are an art and design university. Uh, we offer this course internally for our staff. So it's really only for um, our own teachers to become, let's say, officially qualified as teachers many of them have already got much experience and uh, teach me a lot but this is really to recognize officially let's say um, with a qualification certificate their teaching expertise so that's my job role Uh, but of course uh, as I think most people in, in higher education there are always so many things on the side so generally speaking I am very much involved in whatever is going on with teaching and learning so anything, any teaching and learning initiative, uh, project, uh, maybe event, I'm usually right there. <laughs> and then, of course, my, my course, the PG Cert.
0: Oh, fantastic. So you're very big in this whole route to shoot. And I've realized that you recently did a keynote as well, um, somewhere up north or Midlands. Yes. Um, on this similar, similar topic, but it'd be great to kind of get your thoughts into this. How did you become interested in the role that you are doing right now? Yes, in fact,
1: uh, that's a very good question because I was thinking about that just recently that I think that there's almost like a cumulative effect of many, many different work experiences that I've had. And as you mentioned at the beginning, because by by chance, to be honest, not on purpose, I've worked in all sectors, um, primary, secondary, HE, adult education, outreach, to be honest, I've done it all (laughs) and uh, both as with languages and with teacher education. And it's given me such a wonderful insight, first-hand experience of all these different fields. And I realized, really, we have so much, for example, now, because I've been uh, been teaching in HE for a number of years, um, sometimes I think a lot of university teachers um, don't don't have that, you know, they don't have that opportunity to to taste other fields. So they only learn to work, let's say, professionally to teach in one sector and one field, perhaps one discipline. And they're not so much aware. what's going on elsewhere because unfortunately we tend to be in silences as well so that's a bit of a shame so in my case because i've tasted all these different ways of working and even with different ages i've learned so much and i've realized that really most of the time what teachers are trying to do is, is to engage students you know help them learn It's difficult for them to know how to be inclusive when the student population has become so, so, so diversified. Um, I mean, I've seen even in the last 20 years, it's amazing. Of course, London has always been multicultural, but recently, even more so, the diversity that we have, there is such an intersectionality of identities, of cultural backgrounds, so many factors that affect people's identities. And so when you have these, groups in front of you as as your students it's not easy for a teacher to know well how, how do I deal with this diversity and how do I cater for everybody basically to help every single student thrive and so I've become more and more interested in how I could do it first of all how could I have my students who of course are teachers but again this that diversity is reflected in the teaching body as well and uh, gradually I've uh, been researching more and more about inclusivity, access, accessibility, many different frameworks in university commons and models. And uh, in the end I thought to myself, actually, I think um, I have a good idea. <laughs> I think I I have my own approach based on, you know, I have drawn on so many different sources and authors who've inspired me and as I said, models and frameworks. And I've created my own you know mix let's go blend let's call it blend <laughs> I've created my own blend and so the roots to shoot is sort of different and original but at the same time it draws from you know I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of so many giants who've come before me and so yeah that's what I'm trying to do I'm trying to put together an approach which is going to be explained in this book that I'm writing but also it's come it's going to come in the form of a workshop Um, that I actually, I'm going to offer, I've already piloted it. So um, this approach can be used by teachers to help them design more inclusive learning um, and teaching experiences. So it doesn't mean they have to change everything from A to Z,
0: but looking at their own practice, what they're already doing, how can they make that more inclusive? Yeah, that's wonderful. and makes sense. And it's in quite interesting that your students are actually teachers. So you are really teaching a group of teachers who should ideally know what's best for their students because they've gone through that experience, gone through those trainings to become a teacher. Yeah. It's quite interesting from your perspective and from what I'm hearing that you are trying to engage your students, aka those teachers, in a more inclusive way for them to to kind of think outside their own comfort zone yes. in terms of what can they do to engage their student in more innovative ways. Yes. So, and you've mentioned this whole route to shoot, do you want to just highlight or go through and tell us a bit more about what does the route stand for, the shoots and how does it all come? When does it mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how does it all blend together? Yes. This is interesting because it's a podcast, so I'm thinking, oh,
1: I can't use a visual aid. Okay, so I'm going to describe the visual (laughs) So literally, when I was um, thinking about this approach, I thought to myself, how can I represent it? What could be a metaphor or an image that could capture the essence of what I'm trying to say? And then um, I just, I I really don't know exactly how that happened, but I just thought, you know these values that i'm really uh, promoting they are the roots and so the more i thought about roots and then eventually i thought about a tree and then i thought about oh roots to shoot <laughs> so the roots are the values uh, let's say this symbolical tree represents the whole learning design process so um, a teacher trying to design a course let's say or a module and so the roots are the values because literally to be rooted, also is, it tends to be a positive connotation when you, you, um, you know your, your values, what your principles, and there is a sense of depth, let's say. So these roots are the inclusivity values, um, like a little bit more detailed um, principles, but all under the umbrella of inclusivity. Things, for example, such as intentionally equitable or co-creation, um, even ecological. So these different uh, values come under the umbrella of inclusivity. And so those are the roots. And then if you imagine you're going up the trunk and into the branches up, those are the shoots. And the shoots are, I've tried to um, make it a little bit more, uh, to rationalize it, to make it a little bit simpler to navigate. I've divided into three sections. And it is uh, this first branch or section is the setup and engagement the context of learning because i think often when teachers design courses or modules for example uh, actually they overlook this aspect altogether so it's so important to think about uh, things such as orientation uh, the physical and digital setup of spaces so that's the whole context and and how to get to know the student needs so all of that happens usually before the start of a course Then there is the second branch which is the content, so the actual learning that we want the students to engage in, Uh, and here I am using I am trying to focus more on threshold concepts, rather than learning outcomes because I think learning outcomes are not always user-friendly for all subjects. So the content, so for example, flipped learning, universal design for learning, this is so important for access and accessibility. So the second branch is the content of the course. So when teachers design a course, of course, they're very much focused on the syllabus, You know what is the content of the course. And then the third branch is the output of the students as well as the feedback. So in other words, we could call it also assessment. So now that we've looked at the context, we've looked at the content, so how can we assess this in an inclusive way? And then again, here, for example, things such as students' choice and voice is so important, authentic assessment that actually relates to the wider world, real world, for example, um, work-related. which are more meaningful. Basically, if you look at all of this tree, <laughs> you, uh, in my approach, I invite people to start from the roots, really think about what are your values, your principles, then go into this up into these branches and really look at both the context, the content, and the assessment. And when you go through all of this, and hopefully it helps you, the, the outcome is that you have designed or, or planned a course which is more inclusive. Of course, then there is the practice, the next stage is you got to, you know, put it into practice, try it out. And of course, then you will have to review it, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not just a one off. The tree is almost like a prompt to start on this journey. Then, of course, it needs to be uh, trialed, uh, piloted, let's call it this design. And then again, reviewed and then again, improved, etc.
0: Quite interesting. You know how much I love frameworks and, and models and all <laughs> and all that. So it's very interesting to see how you put the three concepts into into a tree. And I was just thinking there, of course, these students are going through their education and their degree. So it's very much they are kind of growing um, throughout their degree or the course. And then using this tree concept, they are also growing. With your concept and applying it into their studies and hopefully their applications and then sharing that concepts and and all those experience to other people it's very kind of blended approach as you you, you said earlier on in terms of yeah you've applied yes. it to it but actually they kind of can grow with it as they journey through university exactly and this is interesting about the growth aspect because that is
1: why i was very much attracted to the idea of a tree as a, as an as an image, because it's organic, literally, <laughs> and and it, it it grows. It's not static. And this idea that also even the shape, you know, because you're talking about frameworks. Often, when you look at framework, there's very geometric need to shape uh sometimes yeah now that i've seen some spirals which sort of also are interesting um but i think a, a tree as an image for me works because of that because of that growth the the dynamic nature and the fact that you know even the fruitage. <laughs> i'm developing this image further into other aspects but yes i thought as a shape i understand it's very unconventional but if i had to give it a shape i'd rather choose a, a natural shape <laughs> than a geometric shape like
0: yes if you look at a tree there's so many different angles and looking at the approach from whether they are a student or a teacher or an academic or scientist or a a linguistic they can there's so many angles they can see this concept from their own perspective but actually if we if if everyone's looking at this same tree then it's all very much a multidisciplinary approach because they're all working towards this one goal with their own different background definitely And in fact, just talking about
1: multidisciplinary, this is one thing that I um, very much encourage as part of the book and the whole project, interdisciplinarity, and also the idea of, for example, when I run the workshops, which are based on this approach, I I create multidisciplinary teams uh, which work together. And precisely, as you say, those different perspectives,
0: even on the tree, the different aspects, you know, are just so, so enriching you've mentioned earlier on that your students are are actually teachers. Could you just talk us through about the the students that you work with and how do you ensure that your students are engaged not only in your class, but also in their class, the the students that they are teaching? This is interesting because you see, it's almost like I could call it meta teaching,
1: you know, teaching teachers, uh, teaching about teaching, but also showing it. I really believe unless we model it, and this is one thing that, I tell my students who are teachers that I, I'm obviously I'm not perfect and my courses are not perfect and every iteration hopefully is is, is even better than the one before. But um, the idea is that I'm trying to actually model um, the very concepts and approaches that I'm promoting. So, for example, I'm talking about we said before about this um, digital and and physical space setup. So there are many things that I try to do both in the physical space, but especially of course, recently everything has been digital, but in the digital spaces as well to make it as let's call it user-friendly as possible, as accessible as possible in the way I structure it, in the way I present the information, in the way I create spaces for the students and uh, that it's not just all teacher driven, many different ways. And so this is one way that because the teachers experience this as a student on my course, and hopefully they can see the benefit and then they can themselves set up similar experiences, let's say for their own um, um, students. And in fact, to be honest, that happens quite a lot. I I, um, get this feedback quite a lot, like, after the first, let's say, couple of weeks of the course, um, I will often get these random, you know, unsolicited emails where students who are teachers will say, uh, oh, you know, I really liked the way, for example, you know, you did the induction or you did, and, uh, you know, next week it's the start of my course and I'm going to do it with my own students. So, um, you know, this is what I'm really trying to, to aim for that I can model it, they can experience it, and then hopefully they will be infused do it because i think one obstacle with many many teachers in general for any approach is that if you have not experienced it you've just for example let's say heard about it read about it a little bit um but you you're a little bit hesitant because you don't know is it going to work you know how how much investment let's say it requires from me an uncertain outcome you know is it really going to be worth my effort but but when you experience it you know, this is for anything, even, you know, breakout rooms, anything. If you experience it, you see the pros and cons, you realise that in that context, it works. Why did it work? How can this translate into your own context? And then it really helps teachers uh, because,
0: you know, they, they've become a part of that. They haven't just heard it. Sticking with, with this topic um, in terms of the root to shoot, but also I've noticed from your work that you're very much into the creative HE yourself as well. So how do you bring the creative and the fun into the inclusivity work that you do and in order to engage the, the teachers or engaging your students and colleagues? Yes exactly I think that's they, they really go hand in hand inclusivity and creativity because unfortunately as
1: you know we are aware traditional ways of teaching a university are you know I don't want to use a, a very negative word but they, they tend to be stale you know there is a very There's a default way of presenting information, default way of assessment. For many decades, not even years, it's been like that. You know, it's the lecture and it's the assignment. Most universities, most subjects, that's how they operate. So I've been so fortunate that I have experienced that both as a student and, in fact, as a teacher, that type of, let's call it, traditional way of teaching. But because I've sort of, let's call it, landed in a creative arts institution where I'm now and I've been for nearly five years and um, it has been absolutely fantastic to become more familiar with very creative ways of working especially projects because everything we do at Ravensbourne is project based and so for example the use of a project automatically opens up the doors for a much more student centered experience uh, experiential learning more authentic, tends to be much more authentic, often very collaborative. So all these ways, and then, you know, it depends how we define creativity, you know, what's the, but I think even just that for most university teachers uh, would be extremely innovative, let's say to set up a project, basically. Um, so that's one way, but in my case, for example, within the pg Start, let's say with my students, for example, I try to um, use very hands-on, uh, ways of working um to show them how much it can be so much more inclusive when you provide different ways of for students to express their learning and this is one of the UDL principles uh, in, in and for learning for example I managed to get um, the budget which was amazing for KETSO Kids. you know KETSO is this very hands-on maybe you know I'm sure some of the listeners would be aware but for those who don't know it is, is, is a felt with movable pieces And then if students, normally if we are on site, I would have one per group. But because we've been working remotely and in isolation, then I've had to provide one per student. Um, And then this is a way for students, they've used it in like nearly every lesson, uh, for example, to um, express their educational philosophy or to express their, um, their CV, talk about their journey so far, professional and academic journey so far they've expressed it by representing it on this schizo. And then, of course, sharing photos on a Padlet or something like that. Also in the past, when we're on site, I used Lego serious play, which I know a lot of people will also be familiar. Again, to represent deeper ideas because we know an image is worth a thousand words. Um, And again, because of that, the image. So for example, asking students to sketch or draw at some points, especially towards the end of of a unit. For example, I will ask students to draw their river of learning. So they will draw their journey in the form of a river, and then of course, share it and talk about it. Because in a river, you can have rocks, you can have a waterfall, you can have an island for different things that happen to you. Um, And so just different ways of expressing maybe you know, the same ideas can be just written in, a, in an essay, let's say, <laughs> or it can be represented with an image or a, a creation such as a Lego creation. Um, so that, that's the type of thing that I actually do with my students who are teachers. And so they can see, again, the pros and cons, because perhaps it's not for everybody, um, and then see how they can use certain, one, some of those approaches with their own students.
0: Yes. So you've mentioned a lot of opportunities and actually the benefits um, in terms of your work bringing it into the educational space. So you've mentioned the openness and the transparency between students and staff and the opportunity for them to just share information and work together. So how about the opposite? What potential risks do you think that can bring into the educational space in terms of what you do? Well,
1: this is very interesting because because I am just right now
0: writing the actual
1: introduction to the books. I've got the structure, I've got many case studies, but of course the introduction sets the tone. And that's exactly this morning I was thinking, what what really am I talking about basically (laughs) in this book and with these ideas? And you see, the systems in place in many universities um, are not inclusive. We have to be honest. For example, the staffing, the staffing is not very diverse. You know, I don't have many colleagues. Uh, who are from minorities? Um, just generally, there's not so much diversity in the in the staff, but in the student body, wow, <laughs> there's so much diversity. So um, there is a bit of um, a, a dissonance between what we're trying to do and, and then the reality. So, and as I said, many systems are not exactly like Mahabali says. You know, this this hospitality. They're not very hospitable. They're not very welcoming many spaces so maybe many students don't feel um, a sense of belonging they don't feel that they can operate and function well um in certain spaces so what i'm really talking about is because not all of us as teachers let's say have the agency to change the big systems let's say you know, the the, the big policies. We can influence them, I'm I'm sure we can, uh, but perhaps it's not exactly our remit, you know, to change those. So, but what we can do in our practice, in our sphere of influence, is we can, first of all, change our mindset. And I think this is one of the biggest problems, is the mindset of the teachers. Like, because we've done things in a certain way for a certain amount of time or years, and then changing is painful to be honest (laughs) because it requires effort and you've got to start that's what i was saying about roots to shoots this is the first thing is you have to check what are your roots you know what are your values are you committed to for example inclusivity co-creation all these values that come under the inclusivity umbrella you know if you're really committed to them then in your own practice in your own sphere of influence This is the question, what can you do? And so my book, basically, that's what it addresses. It addresses really small, relatively small changes that any teacher can do. Uh, No budgets required because it's about the way we operate and teach. And so I think one of the biggest problems really is, is the mindset. That's what I'm hoping that teachers can see through my work. Um, for example, the book, that these are changes that anybody can do. Um, Adapting our current, you know, ways of working. And just a small example, you know, all the teachers that I know provide resources to their students. So even just looking at that, you know, what resources do you provide? For example, what images and uh, perhaps lack of diversity do you see in your resources? This can be both in, in the sense of the type of resource, the format, let's say, is it all text-based or maybe is it all video-based? Neither of those approaches are, are, you know, optimal. You know, can you literally, let's talk about blend, you know, can you create a blend so that students can have different ways of accessing information? Again, this is a university design for learning principle. And then the diversity of the actual authors you know so sometimes when you look at resource lists you know you look at the bibliography if you if you take the time to actually go and find images of those authors you might you may find that your entire bibliography is just white and mostly male i've got absolutely nothing against my white male colleagues i've got lots of wonderful colleagues that i'm very grateful actually for uh, and the gurus as well who've given us, you know, so many ideas that we can build on. But what I'm saying is, in this day and age, if you want to be inclusive, how can a student feel a sense of belonging if the whole sort of community of experts, let's say, you expose them to through the bibliography, through the reference list? You know, if this is all white male, maybe they are a black female, for example. So where is this (laughs) connection that they can make? So even just small things like that can actually make a big difference to to the students to feel that the course is more, they can connect to the course in, in a different way.
0: So would you say that with what you just mentioned in terms of having those representation from minority groups would be the future in terms of seeing your work evolving in higher education?
1: I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Just to give you an idea, my book has got about 80 case studies. Um, It it actually originally was supposed to be an edited volume. I wanted to collate a series of mini chapters from colleagues from all over the world. However, unfortunately, the publishers did not um, agree because they thought it would be too fragmented. So I can, as, as a reading experience, so I can still use those same colleagues and ideas, but as case studies within my narrative. So it's going to be Uh, my book but with these contributors and just to give an idea of these 80 half of them are male and half of them are female so at least I've got that balance then the other thing is uh, in terms of uh, ethnic diversity I have got people very literally from all the continents uh, many from the global south from for want of a better term but you know from developing countries so I've got many black female voices um, in there so it's not been easy it would have been so much easier to just find white colleagues to be honest (laughs) because in my networks and even on twitter it's easy when you send a call out to get those responses but i have been very intentional in really trying to uh, provide a platform for other perspectives and uh, so i've intentionally um, left space for these other voices so i think to be honest, anybody can do it. It is a matter of wanting to do it and believing in it. Um, you got to believe in it. And perhaps uh, those other voices don't come in the form of an official paper in some very highly regarded journals. You know, some colleagues, I think their work is really fabulous, but uh, um, they have, they express it in the form of a personal blog. Which is accessible? It's open, um, you know, open, open access in, in a website, but it doesn't come in the form of an official journal. So, doesn't it mean it's less valuable. Well, it depends <laughs> how you view. So, to me, the ideas matter more than where they have been published. So, I'm looking at the value of the ideas. Um, so, I'm saying this is another aspect. It's not just a, a different, diverse, you know, ethnic, let's say, b- background, but also. The format in which that information perhaps has been disseminated so far might not be the official channels.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. And some really good tips in there in terms of the top tips, just going for it and be the voice of others. So that is really, it's really inclusive in terms of what you've mentioned there. So... I'm aware of the time that we have on this podcast so let's end with a fun part I've got a list of quick short firing rounds of random questions for our listeners and for myself to know you so these questions are just random things that I want to ask you Um, so think my yeah my tip to you is don't think too much just it's just just say what you think in your head um, at that moment in time so Fairna are you ready? yeah let's try so first question your favourite hashtags ah
1: (laughs) Well, um actually L T H E chat, because I've been participating all the time every week. And um Ed, I tend to use a lot, academic chatter and academic Twitter. If I'm going crazy, I will add lots of other ones. But these are the ones that basically I put all the time now default. I used to also put EdChat EU. I must say I love that um um, group of, of colleagues. The only problem in my case is that um, it's very much um, K 12 education, so primary and secondary. And so uh, that's why I, I, I don't add them as much. It depends what I'm tweeting about. Okay.
0: Next question tea or coffee?
1: Ah, <laughs> for an Italian, yeah. Definitely tea. <laughs> and especially Roy Bosch. I
0: love Roy Bosch. Red Bush. South African team. <laughs> so, for anyone who's listening, you will know what Ferna uh, likes to drink. <laughs> if you're to pick one learning and/or teaching platform or tool, what would it be? Oh, I would say, at the moment, because of my our experience in the last 12 months,
1: I, I would have to say Padlet. The way I've used it, it's been it's helped me so much. And um, there are so many ways of using it. And I would like to encourage anybody listening to really go and look at the different types of project because it, you tend to click on the first one but actually so many
0: different types uh, it's been absolutely fantastic yeah great so other than your phone what would be the one best thing to carry around to show your students or colleagues in the corridor when we were able to be in the corridors <laughs>
1: Ah, good one um, to be honest, I'm often, I am often often go around with post-it notes <laughs> because I not only just for my desk, I mean sometimes I, like I will write a little note and I will give it to a colleague or I will write so depending on, but I think that's really useful and um, because sometimes you want to give a reminder or an idea or something it's just so good, um, rather than just always digital
0: and then they can stick on there, uh, you know, space, uh, their, their work area, yeah. Do you carry pens as well, or just the post it notes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> sometimes I forget the pen. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the yeah. point. Yeah. Free words to describe yourself as an educator. Oh. Uh, I think it
1: has to be creative and inclusive. But I would say the third one would actually be caring. Um, because I do feel that I hope that both for my students and my colleagues, I try to be there as a human being. You know, sometimes we lose sight. Of, uh, maybe recently with the pandemic it's reminded us <laughs> we're human being but yeah sometimes you know the metrics and the pressures and the budgets etc and we, we just forget that you know we, we're all human beings so a kind word a smile you know just to really to be a, a human being is good <laughs> what is your favorite music genre oh um that's a good one uh, it's sort of changed i, I must say that um, in the last year, it's sort of been a bit random. The thing is, because I've got children as well, it's difficult because I'm to play what they like as well. Uh, but really, if I can choose, um, I really love Cuban music. Um, and um, I, I like jazz very much. Um, but also, just generally, world music. I don't know if you know, there is a series of, um, there used to be, of course, because now the CDs, called Putumayo, Putumayo series. It's, it was all world music that I bought needed a whole series where there was the African one, the South American, and all these different, I mean, it was fantastic. Um, I I really like um, listening to different types of sounds and instruments and trying to really guess, oh, what instrument is that? And uh, maybe, of course, instruments I've never seen before perhaps.
0: Great, fantastic. Which country do you prefer? UK, Italy, or Australia? (laughs) What a big question. I tell you, it really depends. For a holiday, I have to
1: choose Italy (laughs) because I think the mix of culture and nature is just amazing. Really, I must say. For the system, let's say in terms of how it sets up the infrastructure, what it offers, I think the UK would win, to be honest. And because I actually think people generally have been extremely welcoming to me uh, um, as as a foreigner, you know, because I've been in the UK 23 years, but. uh, Um, I've always felt, you know, welcome. Um, And Australia, I would say, yes, to some extent, but unfortunately it's not a country that I've actually lived in. I have only experienced as a bit of a a tourist uh, type of thing. So I don't think you have a realistic view of a country when you're not there for a long time. So one day I'll have to be there long enough to have a better view of what it really is about. So still to discover.
0: Are there any alternative careers that you secretly wish you had, but never actually pursued? That's very, very interesting. Um, when I had to decide my university
1: um, yeah, career, my university degree, um, <laughs> that's why you mentioned nutrition before. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, I nearly enrolled on herbal studies and nutrition. Uh, that would have been, if, if I had, Slightly different circumstances. I would have chosen that one. I ended up choosing languages and literature, humanities, for, for practical reasons. So I was interested in both fields, but for practical reasons, I ended up, and I, I, I ended up with the humanities. And I often think, I often wonder, what would have really happened to me in my life if I had done herbal studies and nutrition. I wouldn't definitely
0: not having this type of conversation about education. I don't think today. So yeah. Well, it's never too late. Who knows? Yeah. To do something else. Yeah. yeah. No, actually. So you've mentioned earlier on there's so many hashtags that, uh, that you like to use, but who is your favourite learning and teaching hero? Uh, <laughs> that's such a difficult question, uh,
1: because I've got a few that I always make sure I follow. I must say I'm really keen on on, Maha Bali and we have collaborated on a few different things, smaller things. Um, So I tend to follow her work quite closely and she's been a wonderful inspiration for me. Closer to home in in terms of the UK, I'm sort of indebted to a number of gurus who've been very supportive of me. Um, David Bohm and uh, Peter Hartley have been absolutely awesome. um, Really very, very literally as we speak they are supporting my, my uh, book uh, effort so um, it's very difficult to just choose one um, but uh, I do like uh, like groups for example the uh, LTH crowd I think it's always
0: been very inspirational and yourself <laughs> on there oh thank you <laughs> yeah it's really good questions um, okay one final question then before we end because our podcast is called The Education Burrito what's your favourite burrito fillings?
1: Oh, good one. Mm. The thing is, unfortunately, I haven't had burritos for many years. Um, But I love avocado. Am I allowed avocado? It's
0: your burrito. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I'll make one definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, I think I would choose Italian tomatoes. I would make it vegetarian. I would choose Italian tomatoes, um, Mexican avocados, some sort of exotic sauce, uh, cucumbers because of the crunch, um, and some sort of cheese, which is perhaps halloumi cheese or something like that, a cheese which is a bit soft.
0: And um, yeah, I think so. (laughs) Well, it sounds very yummy. (laughs) Yeah, I would like to have one actually. (laughs) Well, that's all we have time for in this episode. Our listeners want to find out more about what you do, Verna. How can they do so?
1: I think my website. Uh, I must say, I have um, not added many things, but it's going to be uh, enriched a lot because it's going to become the companion to my book. So uh, the book is literally going to have many um, references to different sections to the website, and the website is called InclusiveLearningDesign.com. And so, and definitely see, um, on Twitter, I would love to um, you know be in touch with anybody. And my hashtag is quite simple, it's at Virna Rossi.
0: Thank you. And massive thank you to Ferna Rossi for sharing with us her work in inclusive and designs. Thank you. Thank you, bye. Thank you so much for your time and tuning into the Education Burrito. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening on and be sure to like it and share it on social media tagging us at the hashtag the Education Burrito. If you have enjoyed our chat today and fancy coming on to the show, no matter as a student or member of staff, do drop us a message as we unwrap learning and teaching in the Education Burrito.